So just a little bit about myself. Uh, again, my name is Dave Beale. My dad was a Baptist pastor for 42 years, so that makes me a recovering Baptist. Although I will say I, I had great admiration for my father. Um, I loved it when he preached because when he got done, he stopped. And he, <laughs> yes, that doesn't always happen. And also, I, I learned so many things from him, and I have to be careful here. I veer off too far. Um, he impacted my children in a way that I, I can't even begin to, I'm, I'm just finding out now. They're both grown, and there's, there's still things that are coming out on how he impacted them. And, and a lot of things he, I learned from him, he knew how to work with people and, and how to accomplish things for God's kingdom. So a great shout out to my father. I did go to Cedarville University uh, 31 years ago, <laughs> uh, and I do am a CPA in the state of Ohio, uh, CPA inactive, because I don't sign financial statements, and I do use TurboTax to do my taxes because I hate taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I have been in business for 30 year, over 30 years now. Uh, I'll say it here with Marathon Petroleum. I try not to put that in print. I don't want to give the appearance of endorsement, but it's been a good company to work for. Um, about 15 of those years I spent as an analyst, so I would be pulling presentations together for people. And then about the last 12 years I've been is between management and project management organizations, looking at those proposals, helping people to get the proposals through the decision makers. So that's a little bit of the background where I come from. Um, I will tell you too that the book of Nehemiah is not a proof text. One of the things my dad told me, if you have a text without a context, it's a pretext. I think you'll find that the book of Nehemiah is a very good study in how you present an idea and how you take it through to execution. All right. If you have questions, feel free to put your hand up, shout out, hey you, anything that works. And uh, we'll make this an interactive session where, we have, where you have questions. So. One of the things you have to ask yourself when an idea comes into your head is, is this really a great idea? So I think you are, you've all probably lived long enough to understand that there are some of us who are the thinkers. I'm way down in that category. There are some who are out and go do it. Hops into your head, go for it. Somehow those the two of us help come pull each other together and spend a little time thinking about, is this really good? Who's it going to impact? What, what do you have? You're going to need this for your vision of, what, of this presentation. Uh, how will it benefit the kingdom? What is, what is the part of ministry that this is going to really impact? How does it fit into your organization's mission? So you may have a good idea, but it may not be a good fit for that particular organization. Maybe there's... It, maybe your church, it doesn't fit there, but another parachurch organization, it might. Or it might be an idea that, uh, that something in your community, it might fit. Not every good idea is going to be necessarily something you want your church to do. It may be something that, that there's another venue for. Is this idea sustainable? Uh, some of the ideas might be a one-time hit. Sustainability is not such a big deal. But if you're, if you're starting a children's program or an adult outreach program, there's got to be a way to keep that going. And, and we'll talk about these things in some more detail as we go through the presentation. One of the, 
I'll give you an example from the business world. We had a, a project that was uh, about a $25 million project. We got $5 million into it, and thankfully someone came to the realization, this is not going anywhere. We just need to take it out. So did we write off a bunch of money? Yes, we did, but we saved spending a whole lot extra because there really wasn't any direction to it. It was kind of at the whim of the sponsor, and they kept changing their mind. So there was no, there was no strategic thought process here. There was another process that came behind that that said, okay, we're going to do the right work. We're going to think this through. That one got stopped too because it, it, the whole idea wasn't a good fit for the organization. Uh, and that was a success. That would have been an eight-figure project. We stopped it at probably less than a million in total expenditure. So there are times when uh, you're going to say, no, this has some real problems. I really wasn't thinking through the whole thing. Okay. Now, assuming you get past this slide, um, first things first. So one, and, and actually even before this, is recognizing the need. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, we will read some specific verses, but uh, the preface to me, Nehemiah says that the People had come back from Jerusalem. They talked to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah said, hey, how are things going in Jerusalem? And they said, not good. The walls are in ruins. The gates have been burned. And Nehemiah begins to cry. And he's like, oh, what has happened here? And then you see his prayer, and we'll look at some of that. Uh, Nehemiah then prayed for wisdom, though, because <laughs> the king happened to see him unhappy. That wasn't a real good thing. That that could have cost him more than his job. Uh, but let's take a look. Let's uh, take a look. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation of the translation, not the paraphrase. Um, and he said, "When I heard this, I, I I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed for the God of Heaven." Then he. The second thing we noticed that he did is he maintained a biblical perspective. And then he starts talking to God. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see my praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that I have sinned before you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. And then he goes through some more of that confession as he goes. So he recognizes that biblical perspective. Some of the ways you might see that in, in your idea. So have you thought, okay, you've got your idea, but have you thought through how other people might see this? Sometimes the best of ideas or the best intentioned ideas can come across as you're not, you didn't consider something, and, and maybe indeed you didn't. Maybe there's other considerations in your church or your organization that this might exclude some people, uh, it might be offensive to people. Uh, just thinking through those things. So maintain that perspective. Uh, we have to always remember that we're doing this for God, not for our own glory. And uh, that's the last point here. Remember that it's not about you. Uh, a number of years ago, a worship pastor at our church said, remember the music on Sunday, you may not like everything we do, but it's not about you. 
It's about the corporate worship. And that's the same thing here with your idea. Uh, if it's just about you and you have, you have to ask yourself, is this for my glory? Is it maybe something that's prideful? Or, is it some, or do I have a, a valid reason to move forward with this? Okay, so now we've gotten through. We've said it is a great idea, number one. Number two, we've done the most important part is looking at it from, from God's perspective. Now let's start defining your great idea. How many of you in here have cooked before? Have you made broth before? Okay, where you take the bones of your, your turkey and you put them in a pan, you put water over it, and you boil it and boil it and boil it. What happens to the water? It, a lot of it goes out, reduces the volume. What happens to what's left in the pan? Yes, yes very concentrated and you get all that flavor right there. Well, that's kind of what your vision statement's gonna do. You wanna boil your idea down to a vision statement. Ideally, uh, one sentence if you can. Uh, some of the most uh, impactful ones are seven to 14 words. Now that doesn't mean your, your whole presentation's gonna be, here's my seven words, can I do it? Or may I do it as the case may be. No, but you need to have a way that really helps to focus you. One of the benefits here is as you're defining your idea, if it violates the vision, does it belong here? That may be another idea, but does it follow in this idea? Is it something you want to include? There, there's a couple uh, vision statements I'd like to read to you, and they're impactful and they're short. Um, make a wish that people everywhere will share the power of a wish. That really defines what Make-A-Wish Foundation does. Uh, Habitat Humanity, a world where everyone has a decent place to live. Simple, powerful. Uh, the San Diego Zoo, to become a world leader at cons connecting people to wildlife and conservation. It's kind of what a zoo does. And then the Smithsonian, shaping the future by preserving our heritage, discovering new knowledge, and sharing our resources with the world. That's 17 words. The shortest one was 10, the longest one was 17. But yet it gave a clear focus. And I'll tell you what, if those organizations follow that mission or that vision, some of this extraneous stuff may fall by the side. So the next thing you want to ask, what do you want this to do? This is your purpose. So whereas the first one is that very short, very concentrated version, this is more a little more of the water or some of the other ingredients that you're putting in. This probably should be one to two paragraphs. Again, part of, that, part of the shortness is to help you focus on what you really want to do. I can't tell you how many times I've received documents, um, proposals that are 70 pages long. They include every last piece of information that the group gathered and unfortunately there's a whole list of attachments that go to more information later. We typically tell people when you're presenting to executives you have one, maybe two pages if you're really lucky, but that's it. You get past that they're probably not going to read it. Um, and think about your, your reader too, they don't want to read through 70 pages of stuff. So again, the purpose there, that's another 
little bit more uh, definition behind there. Specify what your idea will include. So if you're talking in business terms, this would be your scope. This is what we're looking at here. And just as importantly, specify what it does not include. This has broad application. The session I was just in was on implementing a blended worship set. The first thing that the speaker said was, what is a blended worship set? Second point, what is not a blended worship set? So again, these are the clarifying questions, really helping you think about, helping you define in your own mind so that you can communicate to someone else. Um, so what will it take to get it up and running? Now we're gonna we're go back and take another look with uh, Nehemiah, our friend Nehemiah here. There were two things that he had to do uh, to get it up and running. He was looking at people and resources. So if you look at uh, Nehemiah 3, there's a whole list of people in there uh, that it was going to take to get the wall rebuilt. Uh, it's not the most exciting reading that you will do today but it does look at some of the organization. This gate was done by this group of people, this gate by this group of people, this gate, and it, it just goes around the city. So the same way here, think about what it would take to keep, get this thing up and running. And then uh, as far as the resources, uh, Nehemiah 2, 7, and 8, uh, that's where Nehemiah asked the king for timber, and he asked him for safe passage. So he was thinking about the logistics of it. He was thinking about the physical needs that he would have. Okay, this is your detailed plan. Uh, and the other thing you need to think about too is in this part, think about any kind of legal requirements. If you're dealing with children, particularly, do you need, maybe you need to have some background checks on people. Unfortunately, that's a need in today's church just like it is anywhere else. If you're going to build something, don't, don't uh, forget about the permitting. We had a young man in our scout group uh, a number of years ago that was going to build a pavilion for the church that hosted the, the scout group. And I said, Andrew, before, if you're going to do that, you need to start now in talking to the permitting agencies because there probably is going to be some specifics you have to do because you've got people coming in and out. It's kind of open to the public. It took him a year to permit it, and he ended up having to put twice as much concrete in it as he'd expected. That thing will hold an elephant easily. So, and he had additional fundraising. So those types of things can very easily derail your great idea. So if, again, if it deals with working with people or if it involves building something, think about those legal and permitting requirements as well. So. The, uh, the last thing on this slide is include contingency. I know, big long word. In project management, contingency is a, an amount of money that you expect to spend, but you don't know where. I call this the life happens um, piece of uh, planning. So you think this should take, should, you know that word? <laughs> should take six months and it should take um, $5,000 to do this. It's probably going to take longer than six months, and I can almost guarantee it's going to take more than $5,000 to get there because some things are going to happen. You don't know where. Okay. 
don't go overboard on this, but generally in projects you say about 10%. Depends on the size of the project, but, uh, and, and don't just do uh, money. Time needs contingency too. Uh, and if you run into those permitting things, governments run at a totally different pace than you do. And if you're a really fast action person, um, you might want to get a group of prayer warriors around you <laughs> to help you stay sane during that time. So Nehemiah, we see that in Nehemiah as well. If you look at chapter 4, and again, I'm not going to read through that because it's a very long chapter. But if this is where uh, Tobiah and Sambalat are coming in. They're plotting against the Jews. And there's real concern that there's going to be some of those, um, the locals coming in infiltrating the group and killing people. Now, most of the time, you're not going to be worried about someone killing you, <laughs> but these were some of the contingencies they had to plan for. So if you remember the story, they all wore their weapons. He put people on guard. He was planning for something that could occur. Did it? No. And probably because he did plan for it. He had made some contingency planning. Um, you could have, I mean, we're getting into a point now where there could be some opposition from the world, depending on what you're doing. So those are some things you want to think about. Uh, this is the first year I've seen security here at Synergy. That's a contingency plan. So think about those things, uh, the things that could go wrong, and how you might uh, work with that. There are four strategies when you're dealing with contingency, and I'm going to slip into my business mode here for just a moment, but there are four ways you can deal with contingencies. You can avoid them. Most of the time this means that you're, you're doing something ahead of time. You're just completely taking the risk off the table. You know, something may not work as far as if you're doing a computer system because you're in a particular environment, Windows or Mac. You, you put the right system in, you've avoided that. That can be expensive. And it's pretty rare that you can completely avoid a risk entirely. The more common would be to mitigate something. You might be able to take out insurance against some sort of, uh, if you're building something, you may want to have insurance. That's, that's a, a mitigation strategy. Maybe you can do some things ahead of time. If you're permitting, you can gather a bunch of information ahead of time. That's mitigating it. It's not going to take it off the table, but if it happens, it's less impactful. You can accept the risk. I know it's there. If it occurs, it's relatively low dollar or it's so remote possibility, I'm going to accept that risk. But I do know it's there. And then the other one is transfer. Again, that, that tends to be very complicated and it's pretty rare when you can transfer the risk to someone else. Uh, some might say that hiring someone to do something and having a contract that puts all the onus on them is the way you do that. Uh, those rarely work out well in practice. Uh, when you're forcing someone to do something too, you don't always get the best product. So, The other thing that you might want to think about, spend a little bit of time thinking about is if these things occur, what would be my plan to work on it? When we put in a, a system called SAP, it kind of runs everything in the business. Big project, nine figures, 850 people touched it. It was a big project over two years. And it was kind of a Beth the business type of thing for one of the largest co companies in the nation. One of the things we planned for and did contingency planning for was cutover, when you actually went from the old system to the new system, because that happened over a weekend. A lot of work happened. We were going to cut over in January. 
Well, one of the things that could happen is a snowstorm. Northwest Ohio, January, yeah, pretty good chance. We could lose a key team member. Oh, that's probably not going to happen, uh, except that on the way to the airport, the leader of that team was involved in a serious accident. Thankfully, she survived, but she did not return to work for months, and we had to implement the contingency planning. So again, you don't want to be obsessing over this. This is not worry uh, formalized, but it is planning for what you can do. So, any questions on this so far? Okay. I know we got, we're backing up against lunch, so. <laughs> All right, so now you've got, you've got some of your planning done. How are we going to keep this thing working? Right. Again, it depends on your idea. Sometimes there, if it's a one-time idea, this may not be such a big deal. Uh, but if it's a ministry, so do you need staff members? Do you need to hire staff members? Will there be additional responsibilities? Do you need volunteers? So those are some things to think about there. Financially, what are you going to have to do? Very little that we do in this world actually is free, even if it's ministry. <laughs> So if you are going to have to hire staff or if you're going to have to have even part-time supplies that you have to buy, things like that to keep it running. Uh, physical, if, do you have to build a facility? Do you maybe have to rent a facility? If you're doing some sort of community outreach, you might have to, and you don't want to necessarily associate with the church because of who you're trying to reach, you might actually have to rent the facilities and there'll be upkeep costs with those, insurance, things like that. So th think about the financial side of things. And then how's it gonna stay fresh? If this has a life to it, the last thing you wanna do is burn your volunteers out or burn your staff out. <laughs> you don't wanna do either of those, they're, they're both bad things. So how, how would you be able to recruit new people into this? How is the content gonna change? If you're using something from the, the network where that there's curriculum development going on, that might not be such a big deal. Uh, but if it's something you're doing with your, with your local uh, ministry or parachurch organization, how are you gonna keep it fresh from that ministry side? And then physical, Let, let's face it, the stuff that we use today, in another year or so, this is gonna be replaced. A couple years, that'll be replaced. Same thing, with the, and for the recording, the computer, the phone, the desks, uh, there's some things that last longer, but you're gonna have to have some upkeep on the process. You may need to revamp spaces. Um, our church in Finley got a new youth pastor, he had, or a children's pastor. He had a great vision for how to, to work with them, which involved gutting a whole section, a whole wing of the church and reconfiguring it. It's really nice now, but that space was out of commission for I think five or six months. It was a fairly extensive remodel, <laughs> and we're all glad that it's done. <laughs> and that, that also means planning in the interim. What, what do you do for the five or six months that that space isn't available? Okay, children are coming back into the, the worship center uh, because that's the children's church area is just not available at that time. So those are some of the things to think about. So, ta-da, you've thought through this stuff. You have your meeting. <laughs> so one of the things as you're getting ready for this meeting, 
ask if there's some sort of form of proposal. Now, big word. I'm going to share this, share this with you. It's one of the attachments, and, or you can I'll send it to you. We'll, we'll see this on the screen in a minute. There's nothing magical about this. It's not inscribed in stone. Um, besides maybe some prayer, God's hand does not touch the piece of paper. Forms and things like this really just help you to remember everything that you need. If there's things that you don't need on here, take them out. If there's things that you need that don't show up here, we'll add them. This is, some, this is a place to get you started. And again, we'll, we'll look at that in detail in just a moment. Be respectful of the decision maker's time. How many of you heard, brevity is the soul of wit? Well, it works pretty well for meetings too. <laughs> don't, don't spend an hour talking about your vision and then spend another hour telling them how you're going to implement it. Get that vision stuff out there and, and tell them what they need to know. You're not hiding anything, but tell them as much as they need to make the decision, but not everything you've ever thought about. So be respectful of their time. Uh, having been in that position, again, 70 page documents, I really had appreciated it when it came in at five. <laughs> State your vision and your passion in the meeting. Okay. If I stand up here and say, this is really good stuff, anybody interested in doing it? How many are you worth me? Yeah, that's what I thought. If I come up here and I say, hey, this is great. This is gonna help you further the kingdom of God. And this is gonna help you get your, help your decision maker get to say yes to you. Does that give you a little more emphasis? You have your vision, you have the passion for it. Let that come through. Now, let's not bowl them over in the process, but there'll be a natural enthusiasm that you'll see there. Show the alignment with the organization's goals. Uh, if, if it's a church, your church may have goals. See, see if they do. Is there something that we can, we can tie into here? Maybe the emphasis of ministry is outreach to teens. And you know that's, a, that's an emphasis now. Your idea is emphasis to teens. It aligns. If you get something that's totally unaligned with the organization's mission, that's where you have to ask the question, is this the right place for it? Okay, and you'll, you'll find either whether that's business or whether that's in a church, parachurch organization, that's going to apply. It has to be in line with the church's vision. Let's face it, churches and parachurch organizations have limits on, what they, on the funding, on the people and resources. Present your specific plans and benefits. Again, give them what they need to know to make the decision. Don't overload them with every single detail. And along with that is counting the cost. Um, there is admonition to count that cost before you go, go on a, a journey or before you build uh, so that you don't end up looking foolish. That's a very loose paraphrase of scripture, but uh, scripture does admonish us to do that. Um, and by doing this, what you're doing is showing your decision maker, I've thought through this. I've not just come to you with this great idea that I haven't thought through. Here's what it's going to take. Here's what, and the last one, lay out a plan for sustainability. I've thought about what it takes to get up and going. I've thought about 
the sustainability and that makes your decision makers more comfortable that you've taken the time to do it and that it may actually be workable in that process. Uh, Nehemiah uh, did, did take a look at sustainability uh, in, his, in his planning as well. He set up governors and, and they set up different areas of the wall uh, and, and he became the governor I believe for 12 years so he actually had a stake in the game there too. So he had that sustainability plan as well. Okay. Any questions so far? Okay. All right. So I'm going to turn the tables just a little bit from the person who's presenting to the decision makers. So for decision makers, ask the hard questions. Uh, please, please don't just say yes and yes and yes and then kind of half-heartedly support it later. That doesn't do anybody any good and it can waste resources and discourage your people as well. So uh, one of the things that uh, the king did to Nehemiah, he asked him, what do you, what's wrong? What do you need? And, and, he, and Nehemiah had those answers for him. The other thing, ask those hard questions lovingly. You know, uh, there is, um, let me see the reference here, First Peter, or Second Peter 1, 5 through 8. There's a continuum that shows up there. He says, and I will read this because you can't see it on the screen, and I'm having trouble seeing it here, <laughs> but he says, um, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Okay, there's a continuum here. Folks, sometimes we get stuck around that third or fourth block of knowledge, and we get into, we get into our little uh, tunnel, and we're processing. Don't forget to take it to the other end. The person who's presenting to you has put a lot of effort into it. You may have to say no because it just doesn't fit. It's not the right time, whatever the case may be. But be loving with them. Don't get stuck in the, the knowledge part. Take it all the way to love. Be open to new ideas. Uh, past practice is not biblical mandate. Like I said, I'm a recovering Baptist. We didn't do it that way last week. <laughs> so those are things you have to think about. I, I talked to a, a good friend that I've known for years uh, that has come over to our church from another, another church. Uh, they're both sound biblically, um, but she said, you know, I had to really stop and think. Your church does this. Okay, I'm not... It feels kind of uncomfortable, but am I I'm uncomfortable with it because of the way it's been done, or is it because it's biblical? Just because I haven't done it that way before doesn't mean it's not biblical. In her case, it was music. Uh, we don't we don't use um, special music per se. the The goal is not to put the focus on an individual. Her the former church she was at did specials, and she said I really had to stop and think: was this because of pride, or was it because of something that was biblical? So, getting back to that one of those original slides, you really have to think about 
the biblical basis for what you're doing. And then again, of course, evaluating your mo motives as well. And then be supportive of the ideas that you approve. <coughs> like I mentioned, Nehemiah had skin in the game because he was spending another 12 years as the governor. And when they signed off on the compact, in I think it's uh, chapter 9 is this big long recitation of, of their sins. And at the end, they, they sign they decide to sign a compact. And verse 10 starts with that Nehemiah was the first signatory on that. And then the Levites. And then it goes through each of the, the different groups that were in there. So they, they put that skin in the game. Again, uh, make sure that you're going to be able to be supportive and that you're using your, the resources God has given to your organization uh, effectively.